Ladies and gentlemen, it's episode seven time. It's a big night. A lot has happened. I bring again to the uh, evidence locker Captain Don Melton. Promoted. That's right. You were promoted in, in the interim uh, season, uh, interim episode. Uh, and Special Agent Brian Hamilton. Hello. Uh, very glad to be back here in the evidence locker, which is hotter, sweatier, and uh, more disjointed than ever. Yes, and, and on fire over here, this, this end of the locker. That's right. And, <laughs> and, and everybody's on the lam. I wasn't, yes. I wasn't sure for sure, but we start out the episode with uh, everybody on the lam. Yeah, we so at the end of last week, I I was expecting something much more high octane this week, especially when it started. But nope, we get paperwork. It's literally just paperwork. After the ridiculous ending to last week's episode, all we get is filing through paperwork, which is I think is the biggest Deus Ex Machina the show has ever done. And it, I thought it was cool last week, like oh look, here's everything we need to indict these people. But now they're just spending the first few minutes going through it. Don, so. So for me, I was on the edge of my seat. I thought this was a very well-constructed uh, episode. Uh, it does show uh, the problem with this season is that, as, and I just watched the episode two hours ago. This is, this is how fresh it's in my mind. I had to, the biggest problem with it is I had to go back through uh, and scan it just so I could remember everybody's name. So I could talk similarly intelligently about it because it is just way too complicated. The, the plot. I'm glad they're tying everything together. Now I like the way they did it. Uh, I actually like the, the references and the transition from the, uh, the rest of the episode. And I found this to be very tense. And I found that the, the actions the characters made were actually far more believable this time. Uh, in terms of how people would react, uh, how they would check themselves. Uh, if you're on the run and you know people are trying to get you and they know who you are, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to protect the people that are closest to you. And so it totally made sense to me that um, uh, Bezaridis would try to save her sister and her dad, uh, that uh, Officer Woodrow would try to save his, uh, uh, his fiance and his uh, mother, who he you know, both screamed at each other the last time. I mean, um, you know, that, that kind of made sense to me. And it also made sense to me that when, in the end, and we'll get to talking about that, you know, when Woodrow says, you know, he's got to go take care of the family thing and he's going to that meeting, he realizes this is really stupid. I got to be walking into a trap. And he gives the head, heads up to Phil Coral. That seemed like a very sensible that was a believable thing to do. I also thought the response that uh, Semyon had uh, with Jordan, his wife, explaining what happened with the uh, the cartel and being a dumbass and making a bad deal totally made sense. So it, it felt it felt like the right motivations were there. What was still missing is understanding the stake everybody had in this in the beginning, why the hell they did it in the first place. You can understand why they want to do things now because they're trying to save their own, their own lives. Didn't work out really well for Woodrow, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, for everybody else, it seems to be like, you know, you know, Simeon's trying to get out with some money. So, cause he's given up on the whole idea of going uh, clean. So, you know, he's, he's embracing his inner arsonist mm-hmm. uh, by the end of the episode. And he's trying to save Jordan, his wife. So that all, that felt in a, in a fantasy, in a constructed story, those all felt like, realistic responses to things to me i liked well going back to something you said earlier um the notable exception to people uh trying to rescue their family and get them out of danger was volcoro we get no communication with his uh, ex-wife or his uh, son which is the big exception to that it's like i does he care about them are they involved with this at all do they i mean they're trying to cut all ties with them but now that everyone else is taking all these precautions who knows what their fate's going to be uh, I, th- the logic that was in, that was going through my head about Valcor and his family is that he's already cut ties with them. That's and what no, it seemed no to connection. me. Yeah. That it seemed like that was what the whole purpose of the, uh, Coke filled, um, debauchery was just to say, okay, I'm done and you can have him. Just please, you know, let me be his father in his mind, whatever. and. Let's and I'll move on, and you'll never hear from me again. And I think it would also be a gross misstep, even though this bigger entity, like um, I'm trying to think of the the group now. Um, oh shoot, it was on the tip of my tongue. Um, Catalyst, you know, Catalyst is involved in in so many people and things that to just go after Velcoro's family, uh probably would just not be a, I mean, it just, it just wouldn't make good, good sense. Um, well, it might not make sense to go after everybody's family, but you never know. But the fact that I think, uh, in his mind, uh, Ray, you know, he did the big break, uh, they're safe with the other dad kind of thing. I don't know. It's his weird kind of masculinity, but if we want to go through the entire story, the, the interesting thing was, I mean, Brian, I know you think it's kind of like a boring to go through the paperwork, but, um, uh, that's kind of like a prop to move the story along. Uh, what I liked was the tension, how they opened the episode, two hotel rooms. It, did, did, was it just me, or did it, did those hotel rooms and the hotel kind of give you a Twin Peaks vibe? Huge. Oh, definitely. Huge. Yeah. Anyway, so they're in there, and they've got Woodrow and Vera in one room. He's keeping an eye on her. And Velcora and Bezaridis are in the other room, and she's like, you know, just obviously still stoned out of her mind and freaking out. And he's Mr. Calm uh, and trying to remain Mr. Calm. He doesn't want to screw anything up, even when she kind of makes a pass at him. Uh, I thought that was a, a nice way to start the episode. And then they start to get together and put the uh, put the thing together. But But the big problem that I have with there's a lot of stories. It's so goddamn complicated. I, I mean, what I was really looking for after watching the episode was a whiteboard that I could write everything down on. And, oh, you have and to lines take notes. I could draw. Yeah. Oh, you have to because there were these moments that there was a huge amount of dialogue of this person connected to this person to this person, and I was like. I am I'm having a total meltdown right now because I don't remember these people or I never connected the name to the person. Well, me the, neither. I just the, learned this episode that the uh, woman who put together this little rogue squadron of detectives was named Davis. 
And of course, oh, she died yeah. as soon as I learned her name. <laughs> oh well, that's uh, that was mentioned several times. So yeah, uh, I yeah, knew who but... Davis was. But the the key thing was is uh, I think I now know who uh, one killed Caspar Casper, and I know who uh, the bird headed man is. Okay, uh, who do you so think it your... is? Because now I read I'm, I'm I have a few articles up right now, and they're saying that um, that it was flushed out completely and. I yeah, didn't. Yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. It's look. It's it. It pretty much makes sense that Burroughs, who kills Woodrow in the end, is the uh, bird-headed man. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I thought too. Right, because you know it, it goes oh. back to the face. One, he's a you know, and it, and it, it's it's the, here's it's, the big reason he's the bird-headed man because you don't hire an actor of the caliber of James Frayne and just waste him you know, in the background on something like this. this so is, it was like, the exactly. shotgun shells. That was the giveaway. The shotgun shells. And also he, the lieutenant, why the fuck would the lieutenant be there on scene on that incident the next day, right? In episode, mm-hmm. that was four, right? Yes. Four. Yeah, that was uh, beginning. Of, yes, it was episode four or five. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of that episode. So he's obviously the guy in the bird. We'll get to why he's wearing the mask and everything else later on, which I'm, still scratching my head figuring out but he didn't kill casper because you know uh he was in it with uh uh they're the people uh he and dixon it's obvious from the other uh detective work that woodrow uh uh well really all through him but woodrow uh found out that dixon and burst that's the guy who was killed in the shootout the end of episode four Right, right. The guy uh, that uh, had already seen the diamonds a few right, episodes right. before. And they mentioned that again this time. So they were in the riots back in 92. Uh, uh, Dixon and Burroughs killed the two people in a jewelry store uh, robbery, right? And that orphaned two kids. And guess who one of the kids is? One of Casper's girls. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. it's his secretary. Oh, secretary. Okay, yeah. there we go. So, so, uh, so Laura slash Erica, I forget what was the name she had when she was a kid. Yeah, it's Laura. Laura. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Laura, and then but it's Erica now. Now, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think this is a whole revenge story, right? She's got to be the person who killed Casper, right? I, I think you're makes right. It, I, I would make sense because she's actually introduced in the very first fucking episode. And you're not going to bring somebody in the end who you've never seen before to be either the person in the mask or the person who killed, you know, the person that's starting this whole story. But I have read on the net, there is another theory, too, uh, about who her, because she's one of the two kids, right? It was a boy and a girl, who her brother is. Now, you remember when she was introduced the uh because i think bezarides was talking to her on the movie set okay okay that's exactly okay that's exactly who i think it is then so i think it's the uh the set photographer is her brother i'm gonna bet yeah that's i think you and i might have been reading the same article yeah well that makes me sad and worried about you phil because that was on reddit so. Um, that was not what I was watching it on. I, I think it was, uh, it was either Hollywood life or another one. So anyway, so 
that's what I think the the real reveals that we'll get next week are. What I can't uh, can't quite figure out is what I can figure out her motivation. I can't quite figure out um, uh, 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 Burris's uh, motivation, and I'm not sure. Even though Burris kills Woodrow when he comes out right at the end, the last scene in the show, is he in it with Holloway, who uh, Woodrow just beat the crap out of down in the you know uh, the train area or wherever the hell it was? Uh, I guess at this point uh, we'll never together? know. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, and then they're well, part of cat the Catalyst Group, but <clears throat> so it's obviously this group. Owns. Right, but it is is Burris in that group, or is it just uh, Holloway in, uh, in that group with uh, what's his name, the uh, that handsome guy who was last episode in the office when Woodrow uh, put his ear to the door, signing the contracts with the uh, Russian mobster. Uh, oh, um. So what I want to know is what's why why would burris do all this stuff is What's he a part angle? of the, is he a part of these other people with um ani's father is 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 that at all a connection i that's what i, I don't have know no idea. i i don't know what what the reason i can understand why laura would do this this is revenge against casper and i think what's happened is that she kills Casper, and what it's done is it's flushed out the crime that uh, Burris and Dixon did, right? And how those two and Holloway got into basically with the money from the diamonds, the blue diamonds, got into uh, into power in the Vinci government. What I can't figure out though is if they use the diamonds to buy their way into power. Uh, with um the chesanis right in the government why the hell was casper holding the diamonds in a safety deposit box wouldn't he have given it to somebody by then well it seems like these diamonds are used and if you know this goes back to frank frank is going to basically launder money through this uh diamond exchange so it almost feels like somehow these diamonds become kind of this this currency of to be able to clean money up if you need to. You know, it's like they change hands. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that I makes mean, sense. Why, yeah. why bring that guy into in, and and involve him if that's not the case? Well, it so, seems like this was, entire thing when because uh, there, there's a scene later when Frank is realizing all of this and uh, he gets his guy to tell him all about uh, all these other things that he's doing involving the girls and this handoff with the diamonds. And it seems like it's just all of these different groups just screwing each other out of power and money and uh, stature, all of these things. And it it doesn't all click in the way that I would expect True Detective to do. Maybe that's what the big reveal next episode's going to be. But at this point, you're right. I mean, I, I, I miss this. I miss all the theorizing and piecing together all of these things and doing all of this, you know, real detective work that we've been missing this entire season. And, like, listening to you guys do this, I missed most of that. And I, 
I, I am so glad that we're here, like piecing everything together. Because this is what's fun about True Detective to me <laughs> is doing all the stuff. I miss like. Oh, well, yeah, and that's why I'm totally in on this next week's as uh, as you said uh, right before the show, Phil. Ninety minute es- episode. They're going to have to take <laughs> ninety minutes to explain all this shit. Because we should put in a worker for a out, whiteboard. Yeah, uh, Brian. Even though a lot came out, and we're starting to uh, piece. Uh, uh, piece the puzzle together. There's a lot of things to resolve, and I I'm s- scratching my head here uh, on a couple of other things. I mm-hmm. mean, when you talk to, uh, uh, by the way, Brian, the way you described Frank getting his guy to tell him about this stuff, Blake, it it sort of sounded <laughs> like he gave him a pony. Uh, to <laughs> yeah. so that's not really what happened in the episode with Blake. Uh, but that's a re- uh, that was a really. There, there were two shots. It was a really nice pony. It was, it was that a big <laughs> handful of, and, and now let me just say this. He breaks the glass over his face and he pours another drink, gives it to Blake, and then shoots him. <laughs> then he pours another drink and he drinks it. I, you gotta, you gotta admire Semyon's nerves, right? right? Oh, mm-hmm. I, he's, an he's stone cold. And this was probably. In my mind, probably Vince Vaughn's best episode. Oh, totally. Where he's really stone cold is when he sees Osip coming in. The, oh, jeez. Uh, Russian-Israeli mobster. And he puts the gun under the table so they won't see it in the back of his pants when he turns around to get the drink, right? Ooh, he's thinking ahead, totally cold. And he takes the subservient role. And... You know, the way he's setting everything up, you know, he's going to get out of there with some money and he's he doesn't care anymore. He's just going to burn it all. He wants to take everybody down with him. And if you look, did you pause the frame to look at the laundry list he gave the um, the other mobsters in the bakery? I saw it on the Twitter. Things, <laughs> I could yeah, not believe it. List. Jesus H. Christ, you could start a war with that. What's he, on had, list? he had flashbangs. I know he had some sort of grenades. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, it's, it's heavy duty. And I, my only fear was, I was like, who's going to be using all this stuff? Frank? Or is he <laughs> getting the guys that he gave the laundry list to? Is he getting them? Are, the, are they Lebanese? Uh, I, I get the impression that they were... Um, uh, I actually thought they were Jewish, but uh, Lebanese might be right. Uh, the, uh, he's getting his other soldier, I'm sure to help, who's got to be the, the good guy assistant of the year. I got to tell you, uh, what's his name? Uh, can't think of the actor. Not Stan. Not, not Stan's the other guy. And it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the character's name because, uh, what is that? Nails? No. Nails. Yeah. Chris Curson as Nails. Um, I think that's him. And, uh, you know, there's a guy you can depend on, you know, because when he sees um, uh, when he sees Jordan coming in, he says, I'll head her off so she doesn't have to see this. And that was that was actually unexpected. Frank saying, no, just let her in. Wow. Well, were you guys did, did that seem to make I think last week's episode, it made sense to me that she was not necessarily scared of what she saw with the dead body and she was like i'll do whatever needs to get done well here, here's my theory is that pizzolato may be playing 
playing the long game here and that... With one episode left. Yeah, with, well, a 90-minute episode. But, <laughs> uh, that Jordan may be in on this. I'm not I, sure if she's just the loyal wife. Look, I, I'm, I'm I put the APB on sure. her early. I'm not going to say for sure, but it was her reactions this episode. I was like, this doesn't quite... Something weird here. Exactly. So, I don't know. Like, you could so, see I'm her potentially shooting writing. him. She could shoot him, keep all the money, and flee the, and, and just fly the coop. No, I don't think it's, ba- uh, I think it's bad writing. I think that, if anything, if she doesn't turn out to be uh, a traitor here, or having helped set Frank up on the inside, I think that Pizzolatto is intentionally having the actors play it ambiguously. Uh, I guess. So, because you, you still want a lot of tension going in to the last episode. Because you can't tell anything that's going on. In fact, this is the whole thing where I said you still don't completely understand uh, Burris's motivation here. Is is it just about covering up what happened in '92 and how he got into this position of power? You know what is what is his relationship <clears throat> to uh, what is it? What is the Chesani kid's name? Uh, Oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, just Sonny's kid. How does that work? Right. Yeah, how does that work? And so I think we're going to find out more about that the next episode. But here's the thing. Pizzolatto can really knows how to plot these complicated-ass stories. So I think we're going to get more reveals next episode. I'm just not quite sure what they are. I think on a visual, well, I mean, like on a visual level, I think when we were getting a lot of the this connects to this, to this connects to that. It would have been nice to have just a little bit of a cut sequence of seeing those people interact. And mm-hmm. just visually, I think that's where things would have made more sense to me. Like when I've got two detectives, you know, going over a case, I kind of want need to see what's going on in their heads, not to be told. Yes. And I think that's part of the the breakdown and why this season is difficult for a lot of people, because I'm telling you, it's taken a, you know, this is really starting to interfere with my drinking watching this show (laughs) because um, it's taken a lot of brain power just to keep all the characters in line and then put, put this thing together every episode. I mean, I'm, I'm doing doctoral work here in research, you know, every damn episode in that. And that's like, that's a hell of an investment. So uh, I think part of the problem here is that, you know, you can have the killer, who I think she'll turn out to be, uh, Laura here, uh, foreshadowed early on in the show. But it's kind of hard to see her once then and then probably in the latest episode in a freaking eight-episode season. I mean, you could do this in an episode of, like, um, Murder, She Wrote, you know, because <laughs> it's an hour long. It's really 45 minutes. Uh, we can have a, a, a one actor show up before the first commercial, and you don't see him again in the last commercial. It doesn't seem cheesy because, you you know, you still remember him. I mean, you, you can keep that much in your head. Uh, but there's just so many characters in this season that it's, you know, it's kind of hard to get that. Now, if you recall from last season that Lawnmower Man was actually in, I'm not sure if it was the first episode, but he was definitely by the second episode, you actually saw him, right? 
I think, right. yeah, I think it was either the second one or the fourth one. It was somewhere in there. But, but I think there's going to be a better payoff. I think, although this, this season dragged more and is more complex, I think we're actually going to see a better payoff this season than last season. Because last season, the, the first six episodes were gold. The last two were bronze. <laughs> See, a lot of people have a hard time with the end of the first season, and I don't have that problem with it, only because I, I just, it was like these two guys are split over time and then finally come back. And, and, and Rust has this moment that, you know, it come in episode one, you know, he, he was, he was a, uh, a realist. And now, there's something there's something more out there and he Oh, I the the character there's two character journeys I, I think you're completely right on. What I was talking about is the plot, the story, and the payoff. It just kind of went you know, it was like uh sitting on a whoopee cushion. It made a farting sound. You know, <laughs> it, she went down. The characters well, the themselves is... are fine, but I, I actually uh I think they're gonna uh, you you you're not going to get flatulence on the story at the end of this one. I think, I think Pizzolatto wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Now uh, this season, but I think the mistake he made was in trying to come up with a story that really built at the end, which is what this one is looking like it's going to be. He just fucked up other things. Right. Well, the thing is, uh, there, last season there was no indication that the spaghetti monster-faced uh, lawnmower man from the first two episodes was an important character. There was no indication of that whatsoever. So it didn't feel like a Scooby-Doo episode where it was like, oh, was it the person that ran the <laughs> store or the person that does the roller coaster at the theme park? Like, there was no, like, Rolodex of people to go through, or not as much, last episode, or last season. And yeah. this season, we have a laundry list of names that we need to keep track of, and yeah. here we we have our Scooby-Doo factor, and I don't understand why. Like it, last season, made no promises, and I feel like this season is trying to live up to that in a way that is really breaking down what I think True Detective was best at, which was like pacing something really, really well. I think this uh, episode went way too fast in terms of the stuff that was revealed, um, but in terms of the way that last season versus this season uh, was unfolded and the way that um, it didn't really make any promises last season. This season is starting to live up to all the things it tried to, um, I guess, subvert. And it feels yeah. disingenuine. Uh, it's yeah, a check we'll mark. See. It's more we'll, of like we'll a see. hockey stick rather than, right. than this up and down roller coaster. I think if we look at it coming back from at the end of this at to next week, I think we'll start to see we'll see the full scope and I think that's where the benefit's going to come in is to say oh that's what was happening but yeah. it as we've gone through it it's been harder to fi figure that out Yeah yeah and that's the the sort of irritation of it but here's the thing you know it still beats the shit out of everything else on television this summer <laughs> It's been a been a kind of uh, lean summer for that. So uh, I want to disagree with you, but I'm not watching anything else this summer on TV <laughs> just really? because of oh. this. So Wayward Pines, um, Wayward Pines, yeah, Wayward Wayward Pines is good, but mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of if you're in far between uh, between. So it's it stands out for that reason. 
the other thing is that um, uh, I'm willing to, you know, last season worked even with the deflation at the end. Hell, I, you know, I bought the expensive app as Blu-rays of all eight episodes. So. <laughs> well, you're done, Melton, do know? so why wouldn't yeah. you? Why wouldn't I? Uh, so uh, I'll give him a benefit of a doubt. I mean, they obviously assembled a lot of really uh, very talented people uh, who are obviously going all in on this. I mean, uh, I thought I thought Taylor Kitsch's performance, uh, knowing that you're going to get whacked at the end of this episode, was quite good. A guy is good. Like, I mean, uh, that character is tough as nails. I mean, he is a war god. Yeah. And so I thought the, I thought the, uh, I thought the internal turmoil was played really well. I also thought Vince, like you said, uh, Phil, Vince Vaughn, you know, he was actually hitting on all the cylinders this time. He was, he was exploring all the, the complexities of the character. So I thought that was really good. And, but maybe that makes, starts to make sense if we back ourselves up and, and look that Frank Frank's world at the beginning is not really Frank. Frank's world is street level, and he needs to go back to the street to really define who he is. I'm just going to put it out there that that, that might be the case. I would well, also ask— yeah, the, I think that's his arc. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's, he's not what he claims. That's my joke about embracing the inner arsonist. I mean, he, he's, he's got to, to get himself, extricate himself from this. He's got to totally go to the, the dark side here. Yeah. He's trying to be something he's not. And if you look at the casino, it's not a glamorous, you know, glitzy neon everywhere casino. It's just a run of the mill, you know, little casino. He's trying, he tried to be like in this world that was, I guess, in his eyes, more respectable. And I guess that's where that scene from a few episodes ago comes back in where his wife says, listen, you're a pimp now. I don't know if I can respect you anymore. And he doesn't care at this point because you're right. I think his arc, because this makes more sense to me, I think his arc is back to the streets. He needs to get more in touch with who he is and who he is is a guy that runs things on the streets. He said he was born on the wrong side of the class war. Maybe he's going back to his side. Well, speaking of the pimp uh, conversation that he had with Jordan, that was two episodes ago, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, think about the uh, conversation Simeon has with uh, yes. Blake. Yes, you know, talking mm-hmm. about the the hookers and the pimps. Yep, I knew I Don that you would was bring that. Great, that was a great tie into the conversation with his wife. Now, Indeed. I ask this question to you, detectives: Does this murder matter? Is this really important? Even you know, if we let's just say we do know that it is um, Laurel or Lauren, does it matter? Yeah. Is it more important the bigger? Thing that that opened up. Well, that goes back to the other problem with the season. I think I, I'm not sure. Is like, uh, why did these people do this? Why did they get so involved in this? Why does it? Uh, why does the one killing matter that much? Uh, I I don't know. In the context of all this corruption in this one city, and what looks like in the rest of the state with uh, Gildoff, the attorney general, uh, general, and whoever the the gubernatorial candidate is, you know, is it important because of that reason? What's the personal stake? Why 
are the two detectives left, Belcoro and Bezarides, wind up in bed uh, in the end. Um, why well, here's did the they thing. do this I... in the first place? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's that's the to me. That's one of the disappointing things in this. If if anybody, I can understand uh, Semyon's motivation, right? I can actually understand, in a way, Woodrow's motivation, right? Because he's trying to get himself back on and in the job, uh, you know, as a <laughs> as a bike officer that he wants by going through all of this shit. I don't understand Belcoro and Bezarides. So we spent the first like a half hour of this episode talking all about the different ins and outs and what have you's that we have to deal with in all of these ridiculous things going on on the uh, more you know hardcore fact side. And I realized we were only really talking about half of the show's run so far because they spend so much time with these characters. And you're right. I don't understand why they're still here, what they're doing. We got that really cool scene at the very end of the first episode where they all look at each other skeptically, like, hmm, I bet we're gonna be adversarial detective buddies. And it's it ends up being... It, it doesn't pay off, I don't think, so far at least, because they're still here. Uh, their higher-up Davis is dead now, and they don't have any... Um, there's no legitimacy to what they're doing anymore. So they're trying to band together, I guess, to because A, they're you know so deep in it now because they had to deal with the... Um, the party and b uh yeah there's no way that they can go to anyone else and say we have all of this stuff unless they have something bulletproof and that's what these uh forms and uh contracts and everything are right like that's their out of all of this well, so that they're not what, hit by I think the what they're realizing is that what they gotta what they gotta get is they gotta get laura yeah right? yeah that's true they gotta find they gotta find her and get her to uh, say but I think the irony of that is when they do, she's not going to want to say because she's going to be the one who killed <laughs> Gasper, who started the whole, you know, everything down this path. So Exactly. So, but it's that whole stake thing. I mean, I think there is kind of a stake that makes sense, but it's just preservation of life when you have everybody coming after you. But why did you go down this path in the first place? I, I mean... The reason that they wind up in bed together is they're, you know, two of the most compatible broken people in this whole series, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was inevitable. So is it, is this just a character study about broken people? Because I hope it's not, because last season we had these two great detectives who were broken in their own way, but... It seemed like the, it was two concurrent lines. One was the case and one was their personal development. And I feel like in this season, it is two lines that just alternate back and forth where we get a ton of uh, stuff with the case all at once and then a ton of stuff with, the, uh, with their personal lives all at once. And sometimes it works, like when we get uh, big long sequences of Volcoro dealing with his uh, family and the paternity thing. And sometimes I don't think it works at all when you get really like ham-fisted messages about um um Meserides, uh weird sexual past uh thrown into the case where she tries to push her own moral things onto everyone around her uh what stood out to me this week was the scene where uh she uh finally gets a chance to talk to the missing person from the very first episode that she found at the party last uh, last week 
and it seemed like just a conversation with her sister all over again <laughs> especially when uh the Wasn't missing person great? sister comes i i, I thought no, it was good. i did not like it Mm-mm. oh really nope, nope it pissed me off it felt so like it, it felt like look how clever i am my name is nick pizzolato and i can write things very goodly and it was like no i did not think it worked yeah. i don't know maybe i'm alone in that but no i i thought it was a i i thought what i i, I thought it did was point out the idiocy of what she had done right uh, of making the assumption about the motivations of another person which she keeps doing Ah, that's interesting. So, Mm -hmm. so the question is, is because you see, you talked about the the learning of the characters and the the change that they've got to make. You actually see this time Velcoro doing, being almost noble. I mean, he's over the um, the cartoony, uh, you know, drug. paraphernalia examination that he did last episode. Let me roll you he's actually joint. trying to do the right thing, even though he says, you know, and he, and like when Bezzeridi says, you're a good man, and he is like, no, I'm not. He realizes that he's not the good man. By this episode, he realizes he's not the good man. And by the end of this episode, Bezzeridi realizes that, you know, she screwed everything up for her family, for her sister, for this girl, and you know they're all they're both probably going to die right my so favorite I think, thing about this I, but but to get those two people to get that jesus did we have to spend seven episodes <laughs> <laughs> not sure of this horse shit so not you're sure. right hey let me bring well, my, up one thing with mm-hmm. um bezzeridi's father yeah you know last episode you know we get from the sister hey you know dad's trying to get a hold of you i, I was really kind of unclear about what i was seeing was he upset about what happened in the past or what she has done now i think both of that so you didn't know about the thing happening in the past until the end of the episode though true and by the way i just want to say doesn't david morse look really interesting with that long ass hair I mean, the man is rocking that wig. I forget. What movie was he in? Oh, I know All what it was. Them. 12 Monkeys. <laughs> Remember in 12 Monkeys, oh, he, he had long God. hair, and he, was, and he was letting the person smell the stuff? Yes. Ugh. That movie but, is so fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he was in 12 Monkeys. He was in The Rock. He was in The Long Kiss uh, Goodnight. He was in Contact. He was in The Green Mile. Uh, you know, Jesus. Uh, he was in The Hurt Locker. Right. Holy wh- wait, who was he in the Hurt Locker? Yeah, uh, he was the Colonel. Oh my God! No, oh, good eye. Wow. <laughs> well, it's Don Melton. What are you gonna do? Yeah, exactly. So he's he's been in a lot of other films. Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, you didn't IMDb it? No. Okay. All right. No, Just making IMDb. sure. Well, okay, so my favorite thing about this episode, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier with um, with Bezzeridis talking to the missing girl about, um, and it ended up being like a big metaphor for her and her sister's relationship and the way that she sees the world. And my favorite thing about this episode is how hopeless everything seems by the end. 
there's people after them uh taylor kitsch is in this big um uh this big trap they walked right into they probably isn't going to make it out of and everything felt so hopeless and it was a really good setup like this episode in and of itself was a very good setup for what i think was the best ending of the uh of the season so far which is uh everyone kind of falling apart into what they set themselves on the course for at the beginning of this episode or even earlier and you're right the way that um Bezzeridi's world is falling apart um is encapsulated by the fact that uh she ends up sleeping with Volcoro and I think it, I didn't like it the first time I saw it I thought it was just oh god we knew there was sexual tension come on let's just get it over with but I did, now that we're talking about it, I do enjoy the fact that this makes sense for her, that this is her world falling apart, how she's coping with it, and how everyone else is coping with it as well. Right, and the way the the episode really did end, though, was not with them in bed. It ended with uh, Woodrow getting popped by uh, Burris. He better actually be dead. You can't, you can't get away with that no. twice in one yeah, season. He's no, no, there was blood this time. It was, un, it was unlike Alcoro. No, he That's really, the one thing uh, I have in my notes. Like, he better be fucking dead. But there was yeah. a good... I mean, that sequence with Paul, like, when, when, he, when he works his way, you know, he sizes up the situation and, and does a hostage grab. And then that whole situation... I'm just like, I'm, but the only thing I was thinking about is, like, you know, you guys are dummies for not using your night vision and turning your flashlights off. He can see you. <laughs> Yeah, I have I, the exact same thing a, in my notes. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was like, why, why the hell do you have your flashlights on? I mean, uh, but other than that, I thought it was very well uh, directed and it was very uh, well photographed uh, because you never got confused as to who was who or what direction someone was coming, turning, or anything else. And uh, uh, there's not a lot of. Um, it, that's actually harder to do than you think. And so uh, the director here, who the f- was the director? Uh, uh, Daniel Matias or whatever. Atlas? Yeah, I think it's say say his name. Yeah. So uh, he's uh, he's not a, I don't think he's a film director. He's a TV director. And for that kind of quality uh, from a guy who just does TV, that's, pretty fucking awesome yeah i think there's a a really a lot i mean the whole episode had a very cinematic quality to it yeah well i I also think that uh uh this is a guy who uh uh probably why uh he got pegged for this one of the reasons is pizzolato knew him from his time on the killing that Uh, makes sense that i as much as he he directed an episode of the killing i found it that that show has a ton of problems, but it's still a beautifully shot show. You're right that that does make a lot of sense, and it, it it's cool that he's here. And you know, the killing looked very good, so I'm glad he's here doing what he did. And you're right, I do think this is one of the better directed episodes of the series, um, because of both the whiskey smash scene, which sounds like a delicious cocktail, and uh, <laughs> the um the shootout scene at the end uh, under all the buildings and i thought both of those scenes really you know, sucked me in they these looked beautiful i mean even if yep you know the uh whiskey smash scene was still too convoluted because of all the names and all the stuff and uh you know vince vaughn's performance is really good the uh lights going through all of the tunnels even though it made them so freaking obvious that where they were it still looked fantastic so you're right this was one of the better directed episodes and, and i were do all- think that there were a lot of details, 
Like, like for example, and you brought it right up with the whiskey scene, is Frank uses those cuts as leverage over him the entire fight sequence. You know, he's rubbing his face in his own wounds. Mm, that hurt. Yeah, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty awesome. I mean, we can see, like, intense violence and, like, really crazy gunfights and people's heads being blown off, but there's two things that'll still, like, give me the creeps. One is anything with fingernails. If you've seen District 9, you'll know that scene with the fingernails is, mm, yeah. And then, two, this scene with the face on the wall, I thought that was really good. And that, like, it's not gratuitous, but it's personal and it looks painful. It's one of those, like, um... Uh, empathy pain moments where it's like ow no and your face starts to like get really hot and like mm, nope 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 you just turn off the tv and run well, away and but i no, did that, shout. it was very effective yeah i shouted yeah. in in the house whenever i saw davis shot that really flipped me out i was not expecting mm-hmm. it and i thought actually the whole ray's reaction to it was really awesome i just and this is just me and you know you you see this everywhere but when they have to do the second take of a car peeling out and you already see the, you know, the, the tracks from the prior take, like yeah. it, that's always bothers me. But regardless, I'll suspend that. But I was just like, oh, boy, they've they've screwed him over now, too. Mm hmm. Yep. Everyone's just screwing everyone over, and everyone's trying to get their own economic thing and everyone's trying to get out of America. I, I liked how th- uh, this episode. um uh, Frank's laundry list of things to get from people included uh, tickets out of the country and uh, blank passports, which I thought was cool. It was a nice change of pace from you know, begging everyone for money and uh, leverage. Right, and the uh, uh, and like you say, the interaction with Blake in the room is a very small room. It was a very small movement in a way. Oh, but definitely. There was so much tension and fright, and and frankly, I mean, as we're actually finally saying, you know, um, uh. Uh, 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 shit, can't think of his name. Wolfson, Vince Vaughn. Uh, his he was really coming in his own, but the other thing is, uh, uh, Baker, uh, Christopher Baker, uh, who uh, played uh, Blake, I thought he did a really, really nice uh, job there, not just a weaselly job. So I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I still think that. The um the dialogue that's written for Vince Vaughn is pretty bad. Uh, the line about the orifices and how he's getting gangbanged by everyone gave me it made me cringe. Really, I I, I hated that line. What do you think of it? it was, I thought I thought it was funny. I thought it was <sighs> from the other things he said all season and his his. It's almost like he's he's the self deprecating gangster. I mean, I get it, but I, I just thought it was a badly written line, and it was a weird splash of humor when he's trying to be so uh, uh, stoic and yeah, well, yeah, intimidating. Yeah, he did it last week with the, uh, when they meet the Mexican cartel, and he did the Mexican standoff line. It's the same damn thing. He's done a line like that every episode. If yeah. anything, it's consistent with the character. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so, you know, so, and I thought it was just a, because... Frankly, you know, I I was watching this on my computer and I'm leaning in like uh, a foot away almost the whole episode. And that that was actually a moment I actually gave me a chance to breathe, you know, (laughs) that makes sense. And then uh, so I I thought that was okay. And the other thing, that's actually a line with that type of character that Vince Vaughn 
he can pull that off. I mean, he knows how to do that shit really well. Um, uh, I still have he problems have with his line talk. delivery. Yeah, and and that has, I think, a lot to do with our expectations coming into of Vince Vaughn in general. And so as soon as he starts on the quips and the fast talking, you know, I immediately, you know, start thinking, you know. Matthew and, McConaughey. He's yeah. not Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he and Colin Farrell have gotten that shit all season. And I, I, I think that's, in, uh, you know, unfair. Uh, you know, it's probably going to make a miss out on doing uh, cheesy Buick commercials, right? Right. Well, here's Buick, the thing. Right? They're trying to bank on, you know, bringing an actor that you wouldn't expect to do something this great and giving them something that they think is great. And Pizzolatto gave McConaughey True Detective last season. And it began the real Makana renaissance. And this year, they're trying to do the same thing for, um, uh, I guess, for Vince Vaughn, because Colin Farrell's done, you know, he can hold his own on things like uh, In Bruges, which I love. But um, he gets these lines, and uh, he, he, I guess he's like the real dark horse, because everyone's like, Vince Vaughn, that guy, really? When he was announced. And they're, they're playing on that expectation that they're going to bring somebody in... Um, uh, that you wouldn't expect and give them something great to do and he becomes a new uh, kind of cult great actor or something like that. And I feel like it it, it, it is kind of his fault or at least HBO's fault because they're banking on that exact same uh, perceptive difference in that we're giving someone a cool new thing for the sake of being different or blowing your mind or something. And you wouldn't expect the guy from uh, whatever he was in Wedding Crashers. Is that him? Like, you yeah. wouldn't expect that yeah. guy to be smashing, like, a glass in somebody's interns. face. interns. Interns, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I just think it's a bit of a problem that people are like, oh, don't try to, like, um, compare this to season one in that way. No, it's, they're playing on the exact same thing. Well, yeah, but uh, I, I, I'd, uh, I, I'm not, like, having the problem with his performance like uh, every, uh, everybody else is. My my big problem is not with the actors. My big problem was uh, with Pizzolatto. Is like you're making me work too hard. If mm-hmm. I wasn't actually conned into doing these podcasts, actually, I'm blackmailing you. So <laughs> I do next week's podcast. That's right. You're you. already in. So just stop. Already just in. stop. Stop. As, you can delete the pictures if now. It's okay. If I wasn't doing these podcasts, I wouldn't be doing all this fucking research and figuring out. <laughs> nice. You know, well, that's what we signed plot. you on for, Captain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, the uh, you know. That's my frustration. It's not uh, not with the actors because I, you know, uh, they're interesting, and I think some of the other actors they've had this season. I mean, for example, uh, Fred Ward. Oh, by the way, I read a theory on the internet. I wish this could claim this as mine. Was this also on Reddit? Uh, no, I forget where the hell I saw it. I, that was a <laughs> joke about Reddit. Uh, actually, uh, the. Uh, Somebody made a reference to it in the article I read. I think it was maybe on Vanity Fair or something. Uh, but this was a while ago, uh, which uh, some noodlehead on the internet had a theory about, uh, uh, you know, James Frayne bang, uh, playing Burris. You remember the opening to, uh, what was it, episode three, uh, uh, which is uh, opens with the great uh, David Lynch-esque, you know, Twin Peaks shot mm-hmm. of... Uh, uh, Velcoro in the bar with his dad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, played by the uh, totally awesome Fred Ward. Uh, 
the lines that the guy had, you know, because he's not really in the bar. This is a dream sequence. He's laying on the floor thinking he's dying. Uh, but here's the guy who you find out is his father later in the episode saying, you've got your father's hands. Saying to, uh, saying to him. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, some of those first set of lines, go back and watch that episode, the beginning of episode three. It's as if Colin Farrell's character, Velcoro's, uh, Velcoro, is hearing um, Burris talk to, or whoever it is, talk to him over... Oh, I see where you're going. Like, right? he's under, and he's, he's, you know, he's in that twilight state, and there's Burris saying that to him. Right. Because don't you remember when he finally does talk to his dad and he goes and visits him later on? And he talks, he asks them about uh, Holloway and Burris and stuff. And he said, Burris is really good. He was really smart. You know, he made the right choices, not me. That, you know, that's why I'm, you know, uh, you know, living in a home now. Oh, crap, Don. That's a huge well, no, goal. No, I, Don I, I Melton. No, no, are, I didn't come up with this. Hmm. Somebody else came up with this. I'm just like, I found it. So, yeah, but you're so. putting it on wax. So, I, but I, the fact is, like, whoever it is that came up with it, kudos that you put it in front of Don's eyes. <laughs> so, I thought that was really interesting. I don't know if it's right or not, but it would make sense. That's incredible. No, it works. It really uh-huh. works, especially when you put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so, you know, that's that's another reason I'm going to come back for the last episode. And another mm-hmm. reason I'll probably buy the goddamn thing whole season on Blu-ray. Yeah. I'm an idiot. All right, so we've spent most of the episode talking about the ramifications of um, all the stuff that's revealed at the end of the episode and all of these uh, ways that these characters' lives are falling apart into the places we've expected. Uh, wh- what do you think? Let's make some wild speculation uh, about the next episode. What do you think we're going to have 90 minutes in store for uh, next week? Well, I think we're going to have 30 minutes of the war that Frank is going <laughs> to start with all that equipment. Yeah, I think Frank's going to gonna... do a little Rambo. Yeah, I'm so imagining I, like the end of Hot Fuzz with Simon Pegg riding on the horse. Yes. I think that's why they need 90 minutes is part of it's going to be for that. <laughs> uh, I think we'll... We're going to see uh, James Frain back as Burris. I mean, you don't have the guy pop Woodrow at the end and you never see him for the rest of the series. That would be stupid. Exactly. So he's obviously going to be back. And I, I think we're going to see, um, shit, who's the guy? Um, I don't know if you see Holloway back. He's not dead, but he was down at uh, the bottom there. But uh, who's the, oh, crap, the kid who plays uh, the younger Chisani? Not Richie um, Costner plays the mayor, but the uh, the son, the son, yeah, the son. I, think I hope he comes see, back. Yeah, I think we we may see him back. He's obviously a key figure, right? Exactly. And, and uh, we're going to see. Um, was it Tim Murphy back as Ozzy? Who's by the way, great actor. Uh, mm-hmm. He's obviously you know going to. Uh, he and he and uh, Frank will probably have a quiet conversation over a drink again. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I hope that's really how the quiet. season ends <laughs> in that bar again with grenades. I don't know. Uh, so we'll probably see that. What I don't know is are uh, are we going to see the um, uh, uh, just uh, 
Was it Jessica Chastain? Whoever's playing the... No, that's not her. Uh, who's playing the sister? Oh, I don't... Mm, offhand, yeah. I don't remember. Me neither. Uh, Athena, right. That's yeah. Levin Rambin, right. I don't know why I said Jessica Chastain. Oh, oh my Show God, really, right. Yeah. Uh, Levin Rambin. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see her or um, uh, David Morse back. I think David right, Morse has to be back. I think you're going to see him do something extreme that he... It's it's one of those, and I, I don't know where we, I feel cheated if this happens, sort of, but it seems like he has some real um, regrets that he has yeah. to atone for. Right. Well, the, the other question I have is, I, I don't know, are we going to find out who the, uh, uh, who the, the bearded guy with the long hair and the expression uh, who's uh, Ani's rapist? Are we going to find out who that is? Well, is that what happened? Well, that's the that's who she saw last episode. It's no. not him. It's not her dad. She would know. It was her dad, I mean, is that's, that's what I thought. But and yeah. is this guy the guy that is 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 he involved in the sheds? Well, I, I don't know if he's involved in the sheds, but it's very clear who was killed in the shed, right? Oh yeah, they talked about it, right? Uh, so I don't know if he's involved in the current shed or something in the past. Are they going to bring him back? Uh, are they going to identify who he is? So I don't know. Yeah, me neither. I, I feel like what I want the most out of next episode is something for Volcoro. Uh, because what pissed me off the most about uh, the last episode, or no, it was the last... Yes, it was episode six and seven. What pissed me off the most about the two of those was that his arc for those two and presumably for the next episode is but you know i'm not a cop anymore right i'm trying to get better <laughs> and i i want more from him i want we talked about that, his family that not being in, that was that was actually very good thank you thank you <laughs> but uh, the thing is i sorry, um, i just had to interrupt you because i was stuck there, but go on go on <laughs> Thank you very much. No, um, the main thing I want, uh, we talked about how his family was missing from this episode when everyone was trying to evacuate uh, their family, loved ones, friends, lovers, whatever, from the city. His family was very um, absent from that. And I want that to come back and bite him in the ass and say, you should have cared a bit more about your family enough to, um, uh, enough to have them leave the city because of all the shit that you're in. So the way that if they had done it this episode and have him have another little internal monologue of, oh man, should I have, uh, should I go back to my family and give him more information or should I do this? Should I do this? I, I, I probably would have been pissed off that way too. But what I want from next episode is uh, something to happen that makes him regret something he's done for his family or uh, for the sake of his family in well, the past. It would be I consistent know. with every other episode. Uh, certainly regret with something he's done with his family. What I'd like to see is I'd like him to see, you know, I'd like him to grow a real pair. You know, if this if this uh, season is about examining masculinity, as some people have said, you know, I'd like to see Velcoro do some, do the right thing, whatever the hell the right thing is, whether it's for his family, mm -hmm. whether it's for Bezzarides, whether it's, uh, you know, that it's not just for mindless revenge. Uh, the other loop that's going to be, are they going to close it? Because Semyon uh, pr uh, promised Velcoro, you know, you'll know by tonight who, uh, who it was that gave up the wrong name. Mm -hmm. 
And what's he going to tell him? And oh, by the way, he's like plastered across my carpet uh, in a pile of shit. Um, <laughs> of his own shit. Uh, uh, you know, are they going to close that loop? I don't know. Um, I don't know who they who they ca- take this case to. Like, I mean, I really feel as helpless as they do. I don't. I, I just. I'm, that's going to be so curious to find out. I'm excited well, for that too. Said in the end is like if you know they don't know any feds. You know, do they go to CNN? Uh, is it going to be an? <laughs> is it going to be an ending like uh, Three Days of the Condor, right? Where Redford goes to the New York Times. You guys seen uh, Three Days of the Condor? I just I didn't just ruin it for you, did I? Uh, I haven't. No, but I'll forget what you said oh, by okay. the time I see it. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to do that or, or what's going to happen or if, you know, there's going to be, um, with last season's ending, uh, Pizzolatto shows that he can have a real soft spot with his characters, uh, particular with, uh, Russ Cole, right. And the lights went from a realist to an optimist, uh, was the transition for his characters, you know, the lights winning. So are we going to see something uh, mature and thoughtful from Velcoro? Are we going to see Bezaridis be more tolerant, you know, trying not to fit everybody into her box? Obviously, we're not going to see Diddley from Woodrow. So, um, (laughs) you know, he came to terms with his... uh, sexual tension his own way by killing his ex-lover so well okay so this is what bothered me about the ending of the episode you mentioned masculinity earlier and how people are really latching on to the fact that this season is so much about masculinity and sexuality there was a scene with woodruff and emily in the car as they're leaving and uh he says something about um how he's trying to be a good man and i read that as some sort of internalized shame about being gay and the rest of the episode is him chasing his own tail about these pictures that somebody's got or that the group has gotten of um him the lover uh in the hotel room that one night or in the apartment that one night and what pissed me off about this is that i i can't imagine this is like I, it's not even about the message but it's about the fact that his arc was like he died for his homosexuality without really coming to terms with it i disagree with you he he killed his ex-lover. I I don't think that has to do with oh, him. Oh, I was being um, flippant. Oh, <laughs> that. <laughs> so I agree. Okay, with yeah. you. I, that was my problem with it. Is not really right. a resolution. Don Melton flippant. Um, mm-hmm. but no, I I wish that there was a bit more there because he's so ashamed of this to the point where he will jump into a marriage just to repress it even more. And here he is, um, freaking out about these pictures and. Uh, having this really weird internalized shame about all of it and i want him or i wish that he could have had more resolution in that way because he died um not really coming to terms with it and it it makes me feel sad because we spent so much time with him and it's like what does that say about his character or uh, all the time we've invested in him he's just dead now i think I he don't sacrificed I, something there's this is not going to be in vain he has sacrificed something and I don't I don't know exactly what that is yet but he's you know he's willing to n- willingly go and see what it is is happening um out you know with with this crew I have a strong well, he's prediction he found the paperwork 
Right. And I have a feeling that something is going to be recorded on that phone of his. So I, I just, I've got a yeah, really... Yeah, Burris has it right now. Did, did he pick up the phone? Yeah, he picked up the phone. Ah, never mind. But what's the point? If he's outed on TV or to his friends or family or something, he's dead. What does it matter? Yeah. It's, it's where you go uh, through uh, yourself. But the, the problem I also had with it is it's... Um, this is... is um, this is a problem that uh, gay, lesbian, uh, bi, transgender people have. It's a real one, and it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily approached clumsily, but it's not approached elegantly with any kind of closure uh, uh, for people. It's not that everybody has this problem, but there are some that go through this about you know, dealing about wanting to fit into what society expects of them anyway, and putting those expectations on themselves. I mean, we, you know, we've had some really horrific stories in the, we've all read about, uh, uh, over the last couple of years. And I thought, you know, maybe they could do that a little bit better. I wholeheartedly agree. And I, you're right. I'm sorry if I came off insensitive about the way I was describing it, but you're 100% right. There really could have been more there that was, I, I don't want to say positive because this is a very negative, bleak show, but it could have been done in a more, um, in a much more respectful, maybe um, a tactful way rather than uh, repress, repression, repression, shame, shame, shame. Yeah. Um, going back to Game and, of Thrones, and, shame, shame, yeah. shame, bell. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Right. It's, and, uh, it's you know his his theme is like uh, because LGBT people are more about uh, are much much richer thoughts and personalities and characterizations than repression and shame. That's pretty chicken it, shit. It, it shouldn't be a stereotype. Is the problem? Yeah, and exactly. It it's turns it into a stereotype in the show. Yeah, and and so I have a problem with that. I mean. Uh, my other problem at the ending of the show of well, Coro and Bezzarides getting together is like the old trope of uh, you know men thinking that what the uh, woman needs is a good roll in the hay, right, to solve the problems. And I hate shit like that. Mm-hmm. Which is why yeah, I so, could have done without um, it. But yeah, that's I, why I liked the uh, scene a few episodes ago in the sexual harassment uh, seminar or whatever that uh, Bezzarides was in, where she realized that. She could leverage how uncomfortable everybody else was by being so uh, comfortable with her own sexuality for once. And she really, the rest of the show, it seems like she's been repressing something. And we got glimpses of it last episode. But um, for me, what I liked about the scene in the uh, sexual harassment um, uh, seminar was that she was able to realize that all the other men there expected something of her. And she completely subverted those expectations in a way that showed how comfortable she was with herself and her own sexuality, which we really didn't see that much of this season because, what, we get the uh, post-coital scene in the very first episode where the uh, where detective boyfriend with a mustache uh, says, yeah, I'm sorry, I was a little bit freaked out by that. Uh, we should try this again? No. Uh, and then we get a scene of her watching porn. We get her confronting her sister a lot about her professions and uh, the stuff that she does. And... It, she she could have had a bit more of that as well, and I feel like the way that she ends up hooking up with uh, Volcoro at the end of this episode isn't 
that positive because you're right it feels like there's something that volcoro is like implicitly saying that like yeah all you need is a good role in the hay and that's not the case especially after the sexual harassment seminar scene when she felt so comfortable with her sexuality for what i think is the first and only time in the show see it felt to me like terminator like you know (laughs) we don't have anybody we're all you know and don back me up on this (laughs) <laughs> like well we're... that's actually that's actually a good uh that's actually a good parallel uh, parallel no it is but... yeah i mean it's yeah. it's it's like the world is falling apart for us what else let's do we have, have but each other yeah right let's have sex uh now one one thing that was interesting and in uh that was redeeming early in the episode when she's talking out loud to bill coro in the bill, uh beginning is like she's talking about this terrible thing about killing a person with a knife She's let, uh, it's, she first starts talking about, I guess I've, I've actually been trying to do that my whole life. Yeah. You know, I, I was essentially looking for it. And then she steps off into the, uh, and confuses the shit out of Velcoro at first talking about the, uh, sexual abuse. So I thought that was, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And I certainly hope that the reason that they're sleeping together is not this, yeah, rolling the hay fixes it, but it's like everything's so damn bleak. We've got to just hold on to each Johnny, other. It's, it's the Terminator, Terminator thing. It's Terminator. Yeah, it's Terminator thing. That will, you know, I'll give them a pass on that one if they do it for that reason, because that, um, uh, uh, that makes it well. You know, in the Terminator, there was a uh, 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 Kyle Reese also had an ulterior motive. He was all always in love with, uh, um, uh. Uh, with her so yeah that's true what bothered me about well in terms of the sex that what bothered me at the very beginning of the episode was that after she is almost assaulted by a man at the party she starts going down on volcoro and she talks it up to the drugs which like yeah you know you're you're on drugs you're probably going to be a little bit dizzy but when i was watching it i was screaming at the screen what are you doing no this is horrible Stop doing this, Pizzolato. This is not something you should be doing at this moment. There is literally a line in the first season of Game of Thrones where um, Shay, the whore from the other side of the world or whatever, when she first meets Tyrion, the first thing she says to him is like, nobody who was almost raped just jumps in at the idea of sex. It's literally a thing that happens in the first season of Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones is not the most, how do I say this, sexually progressive show out there by any means. And I remember the very beginning of this episode, it was like, come on, you're really going to do this even after a show that is literally centuries behind you in terms of sexuality is, I I I don't know, that pissed me off. There there was something to that, though. I think that there, within that whole, like, whatever her history is, as it seems to be as a very young girl, and somehow it was a kind of a i think there was something to it like she was in a a very like dreamy state and somehow something came out like Mm -hmm. like for example seeing the man's face who she had never could never recognize uh until that moment or remember until that moment Mm -hmm. no we're we're gonna get closure on that yeah well so going back to episode eight, are, you know, are we going to get closure on that? I don't know. I certainly hope so. I mean, I, you're right. I do hope that we get some closure on that. And I do hope that uh, a, more of these arcs come close than I'm expecting. Because we've talked a lot about this over the run of this season of the show, that 
with twice as many characters, you really need to have either more stereotypes that the audience can relate to, or you need to spend more time with them. We've gotten a bit of both, to the detriment of the actual case, which Pizzolatto <laughs> decided to make twice as complicated as last season. But I think at that... At least twice. <laughs> exactly you brought up game of thrones like and how many characters are on that show and you can still keep them straight how many freaking characters are on this show and we have to figure out all their names i, I don't know we don't get well, enough screen time with them that's what well, makes it hard you don't you don't get enough screen time and by trying to play it so cool you don't get enough motivation either i mean uh there are some characters that you don't get there there are some times where they screwed it up in Game of Thrones too. Oh, certainly. Uh for example, um spoilers on Game of Thrones. Uh The Red Just, Wedding. Mm, okay, yeah. let's go to uh, that's season four, right? Season yeah, season, season four. three. Oh, that's the end of season three, right. Uh, yeah, it's the end of season three. Not the very end, but it's the next to the last. Mm-hmm. Uh so uh what's the character's name who uh shit, I can't think of his name. He's... Rob Stark. No, no, no. I know his name. Uh, <laughs> no, it's the guy who betrayed them. Uh, oh, Filch from uh, Harry Potter. Um, no, well, uh, not him. The guy who led them in and was fighting with them uh, and whose crazy son was tormenting. Um, oh, Reek. Pres- yeah, right. So you didn't get a lot of the motivation for him doing what he did for that betrayal the explanation you only get that later on so it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense i'm sorry Why? wait now you're talking about the end of season five no i'm talking about the end of season three here okay you, oh, right uh, you didn't get a lot well, my example was it was long and drawn out and stupid but <laughs> the point is is that they didn't always do it correctly in game of thrones either it didn't right. always make sense and so um uh but it was still, that said, it's still a hell of a lot better than True Detective is that way this time. I will uh, I will give Pizzolatto this. I, I certainly understood, after this episode at least, the motivations for uh, why Blake was doing things. Mm-hmm. Right? I understand why Chief Holloway was doing uh, what he was doing now, right? You know, that he was in... Uh, this uh, this group. I understand some of the motivations of Burris, but there's so many things he's done that don't make any sense to me. I still can't figure out why uh, they let or why he went in and got himself popped in the head. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Burris's partner, um, Dixon. Mm-hmm. You know, why was that whole thing? Who set that up? Was Burris trying to kill his old partner? Was uh, uh, was that you know somebody else in the Vinci conspiracy trying to do that? Why would they let the this guy go in there and do that? You know, their motivations like that I don't get. Right. Right. Yeah, lots of little things in there that don't make a lot of sense <clears throat> to me. Well, I'll tell you though, we have talked quite a length on this one, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna go on record and say I think we kind of liked it. Oh, I, I I did like it. I I liked it a lot. I uh, what did I say to you on uh, uh, on text? Yeah. yeah. Um, Holy believe, shit balls. Yeah, it was close to that. Um, <laughs> I think I used the f word. Yeah, mm. I believe you did. Um, hold on, pulling pulling it up right now. Um, hmm, it was. Um, 
You get too many texts, man. I I do. Uh, I, I, um, just finished watching this. The are uh, just finished watching the episode. Holy fuck! <laughs> ah, that was it. Yes, <laughs> I did use the F word. I so, liked this episode uh, more talking about it with you guys than I did watching it. If you were to look through <laughs> my notes, it's much more negative than I feel like I've come off this episode. But it's it's more fun talking about it with you guys now because uh, during the episode, I wanted to take a page from uh, Frank's book and say, I need a few minutes alone, process the ins and outs of all this, and then once you guys leave, just destroy a table. Um, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. But talking about it with you guys is much more fun well, than Brian, watching Brian, the show. Brian? Bill and I are here to help turn that That's right. frown upside down. That's what we do. <laughs> I, that, look, in, when we're brothers in blue, and we have to be there for each other. Yeah. The blue or, is the Skype uh, icon on our desktops. Or, sh- or yeah, Skype. <laughs> or shoot each other like uh, several of the other cops in this, uh, this season have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so who's taking us out? Because I think we beat this one to death. Yep. Um, be with us for the final episode, the finale, if you will. Well, it is the finale. 90 minutes of True Detective, and we are going to, we're cracking the case, but the case is going to close. So stick with us and make sure if you want to give us a tape, the link, it will be in the show notes. If you want to get up there, you can. And if it's not there, well, then you lose. So. <laughs> Signing off, I'm Phil Moselak. Uh, Don Melton. Brian Hamilton. See you guys in the morning. Yep.